Hello and welcome to the March 26th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life, but this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Everybody and welcome again to another edition, Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It's good to have everybody with me this evening, and I must admit that it took a lot of effort for me to record this podcast. But uh, now that I am here, I'm happy to be here. I just wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it because I have a lot to say, a lot to report on, a lot of. A lot of it is centered around, of course, bipolar disorder. And I think, uh, I, I don't know if the word is embarrassment, disappointment, or just pure shame, the words that come to mind. But with that being said, I figured we'll start off on a positive note. Maybe we'll do the good, the in-between, and the bad. And unfortunately, I'm going to save the bad for the end. And, and and how bad the bad is is really up to you. You'll make that determination. I will say this, that my wife has made a determination and she has insisted that the bad is not bad and that I need to stop beating myself up. But we'll get to that. The good, I just want to give you a quick update on my medication. Feeling pretty good on 150 milligrams of Lamictal, although there has been some slight depression that has kicked in over the last two days. And it's it's interesting because here we are once again in that in that realm of misunderstanding whether or not it's an actual mood episode or something that has been brought on by the occurrence of stress or circumstances in a person's life. I know this. I know when I am. When, when I could barely move my fingers to make to write a text message, when I could barely move my fingers to take a note with a pencil or a pen, when I could barely lift my feet up and walk from point A to point B, when I am falling asleep at the wheel driving from Mr. Joe's neighborhood to my place of employment, when I no longer feel like talking to my coworkers in the office, leads me to believe that regardless of how it came on, it is what we refer to as bipolar depression. So for two days I've been in that funk, which ultimately made it very hard for me to produce this podcast today. Again, we'll get to what I think is the reason why I feel the way that I feel and some of the things that we could do to avoid this feeling in the future. Uh, but uh, again, with the good, 150, you know, I'm, I guess you could say I'm stable. Uh, I got to reassess because I am due to go up to 175 this Friday, and I will determine that based on this week and how I feel. Because in addition to the potential increase that might occur this Friday, I have also been prescribed a new regimen of medication, something that I have talked long and hard about and the potential of me starting something that we refer to as an antipsychotic. Well, 
upon my visit to my doctor this past Saturday, we determined that uh, the paranoia is not something that I should have to live with the way that I do, and she would like me to start on a very low dose of Seroquel. Now, Seroquel is a medication that I had taken in the past, but the difference of then as compared to now is I took it along with probably seven or eight other medications that were affecting my body and my mind. So it was very hard to determine whether or not it was an effective drug. What I can tell you is in combination with the other medications that I was taking, once I started that Seroquel, and I believe I was on 100 milligrams of Seroquel at the time, which is a rather high dose from what I was prescribed, or at least in comparison to what I was prescribed, which was only 25 milligrams this past Saturday. And we just want to see how it works, what I feel like, and you know whether or not I'm going to go up in it or not, because I am very sensitive to medication. And recalling my experience with 100 milligrams of Seroquel, I could not even move my body up off the couch. I specifically remember being needed to be carried off a couch into my bed and you know from up and underneath the arms which is kind of how we like to lift students with autism sometimes when they are um, aggressive and dropping to a floor we sometimes like to lift them up by underneath the arms it's a very safe way to go about it especially we call it an escort especially if we have a child that is not being aggressive and maybe just a little medicated, kind of like Mr. Joe was that night, a little wobbly on his feet. You uh, go up and underneath the arms, and when you provide an escort and uh, simply assist that individual into walking, which leads me to the good, speaking of autism. I'm very proud to say that I have embarked on a, on a rather new uh, set of work-related, um, how do I put it? Well, the words, the word's missing again, so I might as well not just try and BS my audience, which is actually something that happened in front of my doctor. And she actually gave me a set of puppy dog eyes as she looked at me when I tried to spit out a phrase or a word and I could not catch the word. I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. And I said, well, there you go, doc. I said, there's your example. So what I'm trying to say is that I've taken on some new tasks at work. And for those of you who are unaware, and I've, I, 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 tr I don't want to sound like a bragger because I do my best to not sound conceited or uh, too, too full of myself because I spent so many years acting like that, like a complete fool, somebody who thought that they were perfect, thought they could do no wrong, thought they were better than everybody else, lived like that for a very, very long time only to come crashing down with my world eventually, but my goodness, when I was up there, God, was I up there. I thought I, I thought I was, you know, the, the, the most amazing, I thought I was the king. That's what I thought. I thought I was the king. So when I talk about my position at work, I try to do it in a way that I hope you're not thinking that I am bragging, but I am in a rather high position of power at my job. And one of the things that I believe sets me apart from the rest of the people that have my current level is I remain a an assistant director that stays extremely hands-on. For instance, I can just sit back if I wanted to 
and supervise and give orders and make schedules and put my wife to work and take complaints and make contracts and provide professional trainings, do all the fun things that involve, well, revolve around the world of autism and special education. Um, but on a very administrative level, if I choose to do so, all those things that I just mentioned, I choose to do those things. I don't have to work directly with individuals. It is not my job any longer. But I choose to do so. I do so once a week. I've, I demanded that when I took this position and uh, kind of got a, um, a promotion and a raise, which was very nice. And that's, this transpired, I think it was about three years ago. And I said, "You're gonna, if I'm going to do this for you, I'd like to continue working at least one time a week with the students that I love and adore. So that was granted to me. And I'm grateful for that. So I continue to do that, but you figure Mr. Joe would stop there. And no, Mr. Joe doesn't stop there. What I have done, and, you know, I call this part the good of the podcast, is because I am doing something I like to believe is good. There is a new case that we call a situation. We call it a new case. It's a situation where there's a 16-year-old male who is so aggressive that nobody wants to ride the bus with this young man. He is picked up in the morning from his house. He's taken home to his house from school both ways. Nobody wants to ride the bus. Somebody was so severely injured because this young man got out of his harness. He actually broke out of a harness and attacked the bus matron, ultimately sending the bus matron to the hospital, and the bus matron has yet to return to, to work as of yet, because he has suffered 15 bites to his arms, uh, along with a broken rib. So we're talking about an extremely aggressive 16-year-old male. So the way it works is basically, in a nutshell, Mr. Joe gets this assignment, not directed towards me, but directed towards my place of employment. And it's my job to, uh, I guess you could say, consult with my wife and say, Mr. Bipolar Joe's wife, Let's fill this case. I think it's a good one. We'll take it. Here's the rate that I have contracted with this particular school. See if you could fill it. And so she went out. And she she did. She filled it. But I said, you know what? Stop right there. I said, here's what we're going to do. We'll fill it a couple of days a week. But for some reason, I feel like making a difference. And myself and Mr. Bipolar Joe's wife are going to actually take on a few days of the bus route. As a matter of fact... I've already done one of them. I did one on Friday, and I did the bus ride home. So I met the staff at the school. I left my job uh, about uh, 45 minutes early, got to the school. I signed in. I waited on the side entrance where the nurse's office is because that's where they dismissed this young man. And I had actually gone in the morning as well, too. Even though I wasn't assigned in the morning, I wanted to check up on one of the workers that we had placed on the case. I wanted to make sure she was safe. I wanted to speak with the bus driver. I just wanted to check in and do the director kind of thing that you're supposed to do in terms of being a leader. But on top of that, I said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself right into the mix, right into the fire. And that's what I did. And, you know, I am, again, I'm that type of man who, although I go into the classrooms on, let's say, Thursdays, and my job is to advise and to 
give strategies and to tell people what they're doing wrong and tell people what they're doing right and sit in the back potentially on an iPad and write notes. I do do all that. But if a child poops and I got to get in there, I put the gloves on and I get in there. And people say, what are you doing? You're the consultant. You shouldn't be doing this. Well, damn right I should be doing it. I'm one of you. You work harder than me on an everyday basis. I did what you did. I did what you did for $7 an hour back in 1999. <laughs> you think I'm going to sit here and watch you wipe a kid's butt who's behavioral and beating you up and trying to bite you? And Come on. So if I'm here, I'm going to help. And that's what I've decided to do. I decided to help out with this bus situation. I don't exactly know how long I'm going to do it. And I say that only because my other responsibilities might start to take over. Oh, I mean, I had a contract that I had to write today that took me forever, and I was actually thankful that I didn't have to go to that bus, which I am going again tomorrow. So, you know, I kind of put a rush on all the things I had to do today and knowing that I was going to have to leave a little bit early tomorrow to get to that school. So that's the good. Uh, the, the middle ground, I don't know if there is a middle ground. The middle ground is... I actually wanted to save the Seroquel story for the middle ground, but I kind of gave you guys that already. I guess you can say the middle ground is I've had a, a couple of wonderful, wonderful family Twitter followers reach out to me because I, I posed a question out there in terms of some people experience some some personal experiences with Seroquel and I got some awesome responses back and got actually another another I don't want to call him a Mr. Joe but we got another Joe out there who is lingering around out on Twitter world and my goodness you know it's like we don't know each other you know we don't and when I say myself and not just particularly Joe in, in particular but all of us we don't know each other yet we form this instantaneously bond where we 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 trust in one another. We know that we are going through the same thing. And yes, in this particular situation, I am referring to this gentleman on Twitter who reached out about Seroquel, and uh, he indicated that he's a new listener, and I think that's totally awesome. Uh, I, I Listen, I get lots of messages all the time, private messages on my Twitter, and I don't mention names. Because unless I'm told that I can mention a name, I will not do so. Well, this, this gentleman's uh, profile and, and conversation with me is public, so I, I don't feel the need to have to hide his identity. And I'm going to tell you, I feel like a part of his family, and he should feel like a part of mine. Uh, I believe he used the phrase uh, birds of a feather or something along those lines. <laughs> I don't exactly recall, but um, it's true. You know, we, we need each other. We need each other's support. We need each other's back. And I reached out about the Seroquel, and I got some great answers. So there's the there's the middle ground. That's not good. It's not bad. It's just right in the middle, and it makes me smile. That's what it does. And here's what doesn't make me smile. And I'm going to try to describe this in a way where I don't get too emotional, something that Mr. Joe has actually only done once or twice on my podcast, and I don't even know if any of you have recognize that I started to tear up a little bit in my podcast and usually I have pretty good control over that uh, and I'm going to do my best to do it again and not 
not get upset and cry because that's not what I want people to listen to on my podcast. But for those of you who might have listened to my last podcast, I indicated that this Saturday after my doctor, I was having a little get-together with some friends as a uh, baseball draft was taking place in the Mr. Bipolar Joe household. It's an annual thing, and it's an eight-person league. So besides my wife and myself, there are six other gentlemen uh, that, uh, that join us. And this is an all-day thing, guys. This is a, this is something that started around two, three o'clock, and set me up until one, one o'clock in the morning, which is something that instantaneously is not a good thing for Mister Joe. And I already know that that alone is going to throw me off into a, uh, not necessarily a mood, but it's just not going to agree with me, and can eventually result in an episode occurring because when we don't get the proper sleep. It is a trigger for our moods, whether it be depression or mania. It's just we've got to get that sleep, everybody. So right off the bat, I knew that it was going to be a long day, a long night, and a lot of fun, though, a lot of fun. So I made it through the first three hours, and at that point in time, I started watching everybody as the drinking continued to get more intense, and uh, people were starting to get drunk, not in a, not in a destructive way, more in a slurring kind of way, I guess you could say, and you know, just kind of enjoying themselves, and that's that. So, what does Mister Joe do? Mister Joe, who has been clean since two thousand five from cocaine and alcohol, respectively, two thousand seven from opiates. Mister Joe has a beer. Mr. Joe has a second beer. Mr. Joe has a third beer. Mr. Joe has a fourth beer. So, yes, Mr. Joe had four beers this day. Now, I know some of you are saying, "Ah, come on, Mr. Joe, it's not that big of a deal. Well, guess what? It is a big deal. It is a big deal to me. And by the way, I also went outside while they were smoking marijuana, and they were passing what we refer to as a joint passing a joint around, and what does Mr. Joe do? He takes one pull of the joint, it goes around the circle again, Mr. Joe takes two pulls of a joint. Now, uh, did it affect me? Yeah, it did. I actually got high. I got high. So, let's sum it up. Four beers, two hits of a joint, Mr. Joe is absolutely miserable. I am sick to my stomach, guys, and I know... I know that it's not, at least according to my wife, she's saying, don't beat yourself up. There's nothing to be upset about based on the things that you used to do in your life. Look at the fact that you showed self-control. You were able to go an entire day with just four beers and and act like a, a human being and not a complete drunk and loser like you used to act like. But guess what? I don't view it like that. I view it as Mr. Joe has no self-control. And I don't care how many decades I've been clean. I now have to start all over again. I now have to... And here's the other thing. Next week, I have a life insurance exam that I am now, even though the... Because I only took two hits of weed, I doubt that it's going to show up in my blood. But we now have to lie for Mr. Joe. And we have to say that we're going to have to cancel for some ridiculous reason because I am not taking that life insurance test. Even though they insist 
that marijuana does not matter if it shows up. They no longer look at it as smoking. I'm not taking a chance, and I'm paranoid, and that's how I live my life, and I really don't care. So end result is Mr. Joe has been completely, utterly depressed for two days. The interesting thing is I went to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, and I was up at 4.45, so I barely slept. Uh, I was so incredibly anxious because of what I had done. I could not stop thinking about it. I could not stop thinking about the fact that I, quote-unquote, relapsed as far as I'm concerned. And, again, I know I didn't know, go on what we call a bender, and I have not continued uh, to drink, and I have not continued to smoke. It's over. It's done with, and we're going to start anew. But what in the God's honest, what, what in God's green earth is wrong with me, really? How could somebody who has been sitting here preaching to my audience talking about how important it is to stay sober and how important it is to stay away from alcohol and drugs. I'm embarrassed, I'm mortified, I'm ashamed of myself. But with that being said, here's the other thing. And this is probably the most important part and where I'm not going to beat myself up as much. You now know that Mr. Joe is human. <laughs> not that you knew that I was, not that you thought that I was a robot here on the other end. I'm a real person. I choose to not share my identity. I choose to not talk about where I live, which is why I refer to it as Mr. Joe's neighborhood. You'll never know my last name. You'll never know the identity of me for real. You'll, if you haven't recognized by now, you've never been told my wife's first name. And that's going to remain the same. And I'm going to be doing podcasts for a very, very long time to come. As a matter of fact, I don't see myself ever quitting. So here's what I ask. I ask that you don't quit on me. I ask that you accept me for who I am, accept the fact that I made a terrible mistake, accept the fact that I'm ashamed of it, and understand that I am absolutely paying for it. And I even reached out to Becky from That B Word today, uh, bipolar, borderline beautiful, who happens to be a very, very dear friend of mine now. It's amazing. You know, we're going back to that Twitter thing and how we all support one another. This is, a, this is a young woman who I feel just as comfortable as anybody else on this earth opening up my Twitter or opening up my email and shooting her a text. And it's amazing because, or shooting her a message, excuse me. It's amazing because I didn't even have to reach out to her today. She reached out to me and she asked how I was. She said, hi, Mr. Joe, how are you? And I think she just knew. It's been a few days since we spoke. I've been kind of hiding on Twitter. I haven't really been commenting much. And we just kind of know about each other. And it's amazing. And I don't want to share what's going on with her. I'd rather she, you know, you listen to her podcast and, podcast and she'll let you know what's happening with her. But once we started talking, we just kind of knew. We knew what each other was feeling. So I'll let you listen to her and... That'll be my little plug for that B-Word podcast, and hopefully she'll share with her audience what's going on with her, but we just get it. We just know. We, we, we are all bipolar, and we all make mistakes. We all pay the consequences. Sometimes I just don't know why we do the things that we do. I know this. I know my wife, who is extremely supportive, supportive of me. She does not. I could not even recall the last time that she had a drink. 
I could tell you last year at the draft she was actually pregnant with Mickey, so there's no way that she drank then. I don't really remember, and I know she had a couple of beers, and she always stands by my side. She will never drink. She will never touch a single drop of alcohol, neither in my presence or away from me. I know for a fact. I know that to be true. Uh, and when she had asked if she could drink a beer and if I would be angry with her, I said no. This is before I had decided to drink a beer. So uh, I guess you could say that seeing her do that in conjunction with my best friend, Tad, who was here, um, I just went ahead and did what I did. And I, and I, and I absolutely hate myself for it absolutely hate myself and again I know I'm probably beating myself up too much but what on earth is the point of doing what I did did I enjoy myself no not really didn't make a difference didn't do a whole lot for me what it did do was it made me extremely paranoid the next day extremely depressed so we are now going on my second day of depression Sunday all day, I couldn't even keep my eyes open. Granted, I'd only slept three hours, so uh, it was a very difficult day for me to begin with. But, you know, you got that feeling back. I mean, I wasn't even hungover. You guys all know that disgusting, horrible, hungover feeling where you are just feeling like garbage because you slept like garbage. You got alcohol running through your bloodstream. You feel disgusting. And you pay for it the entire next day. And no, that's not what happened to me. But you know what? It brought those memories back to me. It made me feel the way that I felt when I was engaging in my alcoholism. I won't say that when I was an alcoholic, because I am an alcoholic. I'm not going to say when I was. Clearly, I'm an alcoholic. Because somebody who is not an alcoholic would not have touched a drink. Somebody who has done the amount of damage that I have done in my life, the relationships that I've destroyed, the jail cells that I have sat in, the laws that I have broken, the fights that I've gotten into, the punches thrown, the injuries, uh, the injuries sustained because of drinking, the rage that takes place. Why on earth would I subject myself to that? And put myself through that again. So no, it's not the worst thing in the world. Mr. Joe is a human being. I get that. But I took a chance. I took a chance with my mental health. I took a chance with my sobriety. And I am so, so very sorry to my podcast audience. I'm so sorry out there. So please, I ask you to forgive me. And uh, know that if you are clean and you slip up too, I forgive you as well. So I don't want you to, here I am, and I'm saying to myself, I'm beating myself so hard up. And it's it's amazing, because if I got a story from one of you, identical to what I just told, I would probably write five or six paragraphs back to you, helping you to not beat yourself up, and helping you to understand that we all make mistakes, and everything's going to be okay, and now you just got to get back and go to work again. Go back to work. But yet I can't tell myself that. And maybe it's because I'm so damn depressed. Maybe it's because I don't want to do anything but talk to you guys. That's the only thing I, that's the only amount of desire I've ever had. I was so gung-ho about this bus, I don't even want to go tomorrow. I don't want to do a thing. 
I almost feel like when I accepted this job offer or, or, or volunteered myself to do it, I was probably in full-blown hypomania. Because let me tell you something, as compared to what I feel like now, I don't even want to get on a bus alone, let, on get, get, get a, let alone get on a bus with a child with autism. I would probably be paranoid to walk on a bus now to go somewhere. Which leads me to uh, remember, or leads me to tell you that somebody found it so interesting the other day when I told them how I have this paranoia about subways and trains and buses. I, I don't want to draw. I don't want to get anywhere, go anywhere. But I'm going to have to work through it. I'm going to have to do what I got to do, and I'm going to have to get over it. And I'm going to have to hope that in the next coming days, I'm going to forgive myself, and I'm going to move past this, and. We're going to accept this mistake that I made. And that's that. I hope that it happens. I really do. So, again, very, very sorry. It's we got to figure out what we have to do as people who abuse drugs and alcohol when we are subjected to these things. You know, i got weddings coming up, guys. My sister-in-law is getting married. Uh, uh, does that mean I'm going to slip up again? I mean, come on. This is not allowed. This is not okay. Now, listen, I have been at many, many weddings over the course of the last few years, and I've always remained sober. I've been at catered birthday parties. I was at, hey, I was at my own wedding. I didn't have a single drop of alcohol, nothing, not even a toast. And I got married in November, um, so it's been a little over a year and a half. And... Uh, you know, we, we, not even a drink, not even a... But, but here I am again. Here, here's the thing. I am super-duper depressed, and is it because my chemicals now, what used to happen to me with alcohol, is I would drink, and the next day, my chemicals could not even bear to be alive. I would be so screwed up in my head and with my chemicals that I would be so depressed, didn't matter how much sleep I got... I was literally suicidal after heavy drinking. Now, it wasn't heavy drinking, so I'm not at that point. But I'll tell you what, I'm not happy. Not happy at all. So that's the report on Mr. Joe. I'm going to take the next couple of days to reflect on what I did and where I stand in my own heart. I hope that I remain a positive, a positive uh, voice for you, so to speak to listen to and to confide in and to enjoy. I really do. I hope that I do. And I don't want to sound like I'm begging for your forgiveness because, again, I am a human being. But uh, if anything, at least we all know now that we are one and the same and we are certainly a family. There's no doubt about that. I want to thank you for listening tonight to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hope everybody has a great night. Thanks again for joining me in my neighborhood. I appreciate it. Talk to you again soon in a couple of days. 